Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the latest episode of Soccer in the City. Tom Colker, Glenn Crooks, Roberto Bromwitz, John Rojas. Gentlemen, it's been a little bit of a break uh, for us, but good to be back with all of you. Now, there is a lot of soccer to get to, but on this specific episode, uh, an exclusive from the Soccer in the City podcast, and specifically for Glenn and Roberto, um, these gentlemen had the opportunity to sit down with the president of New York City FC, Brad Sims. We don't hear from Brad Sims that often. Uh, John and I were talking about that before we went on the air. So this is uh, this is a big get for Glenn and Roberto and for the podcast. This is not a, a five, 10 minute post-match interview, pre-match interview where we get them for a few minutes. This is 40 minutes and a range of topics that uh, Glenn, Roberto and Brad go over. Um, so first of all, Glenn and Roberto, kudos to you all for getting Brad and this long interview. And Glenn, why don't you just set us up because this is going to be the focus of this podcast. We will get to a little bit of soccer. We'll, we'll set up the match against Philly because there's a lot of implications for that one. And then next week we'll get more into the X's and O's and what's going on the last couple of months with the team. But we really want to give uh, time and breath to this interview because um, it, it was so well done by you two. Yeah. Well, thanks Tom. And uh, look forward to everybody's reaction at, at the end of it. Uh, Roberto and I, uh, we were in the media room at Yankee stadium uh, it was before New York City. This was recorded before New York City had clinched a playoff berth, but it was uh, coming off the 6-0 win over D.C. United. So it was before pregame of uh, the Chicago Fire match. And uh, it was a comfortable setting, right, Roberto? Absolutely. 100%. We went into the media room. That's just a little where, where the writers normally do their job uh, after a game if they don't want to be out there with all the noise. And uh, it was a very comfortable, very, um, what's the word I'm actually looking for? It, it was just a very comfortable, informal in many ways, chat conversation. It was like the three of us were just hanging out and, and just talking about, uh, about soccer, obviously, the emphasis being on his answers and more than anything else. So, uh, and what I liked about it, aside from that, I mean, he, he was totally open. There wasn't anything where he, you know, 
felt like he couldn't answer or anything. I think there was like one spot where he turned around to see if there was, uh, you know, if there was something that had that we had knowledge of that hadn't been released. Turned out it was released and all that. But aside from that, I mean, I mean, everything was uh, very open and uh, whatever we wanted to ask, we asked. And here are some of the things uh, that we're going to review and that he answered. Uh, one was how much he was involved during that down period. Remember, uh, just six points out of a possible 27 during a, a nine-game stretch. So I thought it was a very interesting, uh, interesting response to that. Yankee Stadium and City Field, that's where they want to play next season, 2022. No guarantees. Found it interesting that they're already working with the Yankees and the Mets on 2023 dates and that MLS, because of the MLS schedule, that's what's making it more difficult to avoid Red Bull Arena. But we'll talk about that. Attendance figures. Brad says, met or exceeded our expectations. So uh, that answer and, uh, and, and the discussion there is interesting. Season ticket prices. Roberto's a, a season ticket holder. Uh, there was uh, the mention of $37 to $54, a ticket increase. Brad Sim says, he that it's fairly priced and we'll hear how he describes that soccer stadium. You know, how are you going to talk to the president of the club without discussing the soccer stadium? But one thing that was revealed in terms of the Bronx versus Queens, there is nothing active there right now. That was a quote from Brad Sims. He's referring to the Bronx, that they're much more focused and enthusiastic about an opportunity in Queens. And uh, finally, the MLS Reserve League. Uh, what he said about that, 2022, there's going to be a league and we're going to have a team. And we get into some specifics there. So let's let this thing roll. It's just under 40 minutes. Roberto Abramowitz, myself, with the CEO and president of uh, New York City FC, Brad Sims. Well, Brad, I think the first thing we need to talk about is the current season. And, sure. And uh, as we uh, present this and record this, we're sitting at Yankee Stadium ahead of a, a pretty massive match against Chicago as you, you search for the playoffs. So just in general, uh, how have you felt about things? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been a crazy year. You know, I think that, um, you know, we expect, we would expect to be higher in the, in the standings than we are right now. Um, you know, we, we have very clear expectations for the club every year, and that's to be a, a team that's competing for MLS Cup and to be at the top of the standings. And, um, you know, we were, were sitting in, in the second spot for, for a lot of the year, um, you know, went through a tough stretch. And I think that, you know, really there's this feeling, you know, in the Atlanta game uh, with, with Goody's equalizer, you know, and, and the 90th minute there, on a, just what an incredible free kick and I think that that just got you know a huge monkey off the team's back for whatever reason um, we were have, having trouble scoring goals as everybody knows and uh, getting that point and that's a tough point to get in Atlanta uh, tough place to play tough crowd tough tough pitch um, and then coming back at home on Saturday and you know floodgates opened up and you know hopefully you know we keep we'll keep it going here we got um you know playing games at yankee stadium has historically been a, a, a huge home field advantage for us and um as you know this year i think we're a 23-3 goal differential at games at, at yankee stadium so um we've got two of our final three now at, at yankee stadium including tonight against chicago so hopefully hopefully we keep it going during stretches like uh, you talked about as high as second and then 
all of a sudden had a playoff position. Not suddenly, but that's kind of where it ended up. Do you just leave that to sporting completely as the president of the club, or do you interject any opinion, not necessarily maybe how to play, but uh, are you involved uh, at, at all when there's a struggle like that? Yeah, good question. I mean, I would say I, I spend a lot of time at in Orangeburg at, at, at the CFA. Um, I see firsthand kind of all, all the hard work and commitment from our coaching staff and our entire sporting staff and, you know, the preparation that goes into to every single game. Um, I think the answer would be if I saw something that was concerning from either a lack of effort, a lack of hard work, a lack of preparation, commitment, um, something that was kind of negative going on culturally um, in the building. If if any of those things happen, then I think that that would be something that I would interject on and, and talk to Dave Lee about. And, and you know, and, and he and I talk every single day about things. And, and I talk to Ronnie um, very frequently, too. And um, but I haven't I haven't seen anything to be concerned about in any of those areas. I mean, we have a, a great atmosphere positive players are positive coaches are positive there's so much hard work going on we have an amazing staff and I, I you chalk it up to one of these things where you just kind of throw your hands there and it's just like it sometimes it just happens you know it was like almost like a collective team version of of tati's goalless streak or you know infamous goalless streak earlier in the year and like once he got one and got that monkey off the back then all of a sudden boom he became you know mls player of the month for august like on, on the heels of that and so um, we hope that, that that's what's happening right now yeah, and, and can be a better time if we can get that going heading into the playoffs. So I, what I guess most people do understand and some don't is that there's a very clear delineation of what your responsibilities are and what David Lee's responsibilities are. At the same time, is there any overlap at all where you guys are talking and can you give us some example for instance of wh where that overlap might be and what those conversations might be like yeah I, I guess I would say my my relationship with Dave would be similar to my relationship with with other kind of senior leaders throughout the club and and where I view my role as being the person who is there to hopefully help remove barriers for them and help them um, help their teams be able to perform at the, you know to, to their best capabilities and so when they need something or need approvals on something, um, you know, one you ask for example. One example that comes up is um, our our pitch, our practice pitch at the CFA was was pretty beat up um, this year. It was usually those things are about a three year cycle anyway. It was on the end of, of year three, and it was it was a point where it was, you know, the team was having a lot of struggles with it. It was right around the you know the time where we were also having other struggles, and so some of those things can can beget one another and. Um, it was something that, you know, from a budgetary standpoint, that the plan was to replace it in the off season for next year. And you know, Dave came and said, "We, we, we, sh we need to do this now. Like, we need to do it now um, for a number of reasons. One, for, <laughs> for safety reasons for the players, um, but two, you know, just just to show the and also the confidence that we have that we want to give them the best." You know, put them in the best possible positions to succeed, and we had a small window to be able to do it because of how the schedule is. You, you need to lay down side and need to be able to take for a couple of days. We had to be on the road, and so there was a tiny window, like four days from that conversation. He said, "If we do it, if we make a decision like today, tomorrow," and so it's one of these things, as you can imagine, not not inexpensive, um, and you know, he, and so you know that was something that we went to bat and we we got it done. 
um, and and we think you know it's made a big difference. You know, I think physically, also psychologically. Um, you know, playing on a on a fresh new pitch and and training uh, that, that we're doing uh, every day and. Um, but so that, that's one. That's just one example. There's tons of examples like that. But mostly, I, like I said, I view my role as being like, if you guys need something, if something is hindering us from being the best that we can be, whether that's on the commercial side of the business, whether that's on the sporting side of the business, whether that's in our community group, wh wh wherever it could be, um, you know, that, I view that as my role to like, how can I help navigate the waters or, or make decisions to, to help make everyone's lives easier? Were you, were you ever a collegiate athletic director? That sounds like the role of an AD. You know? Yeah, the no. The coach I, going, hey, man, I need, a, I need this to get out to well, a recruiting trip. Yeah, the trick is, I mean, you can't say yes to everything all the time, right? I mean, we, we have the realities of running a business and realities of, of you know, budgets and, and things of that nature. But um, I guess the trick is to say yes when you when you know it, it's really really important um and um and find a way to make it happen and then you know and, and really trying to understand what is absolutely vital versus what is a, a nice to have um and and then for us to, to try and work through uh, through those things accordingly you, you talked about yankee stadium and how the team performs well here two out of the next three uh, as of this recording are going to be played at home leading into the playoffs next year it's Yankee Stadium and City Field that's been the pronouncement by the club that if uh, if Yankee Stadium's not available then City Field is the next uh, viable option we are no longer crossing the Hudson River how can you be so certain about that uh, is the Major League Baseball I, schedule out? or Well, the, the short answer is I can't okay. be so certain about that. Um, the short and, and, and to the point answer about that. Um, you know, what we said is that that's, every, that's our intention. Our intention is to not have um, regular season home games at, uh, at, at Red Bull Arena and that we want to play as many games as we possibly can in Yankee Stadium and that, um, you know, we're looking at that City Field is, we believe, a fantastic um, you know, alternative venue for us. We've played games there in the past. We were slated to play four games uh, there in 2020 um, before before COVID hit. So um, it's something that that we feel great about um, at City Field. Uh, but but the, re the the true answer is I, I can't. You know, it, it's it's pretty challenging navigating the. To answer your question, the baseball schedules are out. They do the baseball schedule well in advance. So the the two, they were actually we're actually working with the Yankees and Mets already on 2023 dates. Um, um, because the, the MLB schedules come out way, way in advance. So um, how's 22 looking? So there, there's, it's, it's looking good. Um, you know, MLS has to help us, and they've been very helpful to us in the past um, because they know, know, know of our challenges. Uh, the trick is that, that now we're in a situation where the scheduling is in specific windows. Uh, so it's games 1 through 34. Game 1 is, you know, Saturday, I can't remember the dates, but it's the last weekend of February, you know, Saturday, Sunday, game two is the following week, Saturday, Sunday, game three, Saturday, Sunday, so on and so forth throughout the season. Um, and then there are also um, a preset number of midweek game windows that, that have to be played. And next year, MLS uh, with Charlotte FC joining, there's 28 teams. So there's going to be dates where all 14, well, all 28 teams are playing 14 games on day, most likely on Wednesdays. So there's a few of those and maybe even on, on some of the weekends where it's every game, every team is playing. So the, the trick with that is for us is if they say it has to be a game on this date, then we need to hope, you know, both, you know, or one of the Yankees or the, or the Mets um, are available. So let me ask you this, uh, knowing the stadium situation in the area, 
the alternatives, well, the easiest alternative has been you have a perfect stadium in, in Red Bull, and so that, that's, uh, that's what's being used. But obviously the fans uh, revolted on that, and, uh, and th that they made their voices loud and clear by not showing up at Red Bull Arena for games. At the same time, uh, what other stadiums are available? And I know that one of the things that you guys looked at at some point in the past was going up to West Point, and uh, they have a nice stadium over there. I don't know if it's uh, either Mikey Field where the football team plays or their soccer stadium that's up there. Is that still something that you would be considering? Not really. Um, and main, main reason is, is MLS um, kind of blessing venues. So a, a key piece going forward, and we, and we went through this with the Champions League uh, situation a couple, you know, a couple years ago in 2020. Um, we, we have vetted. We have I think like 78 stadiums or something like that in, in our within our territory that we vetted um, for to try and you know see if we could play games there. I mean, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean that that's the list. Um, or it's somewhere, it's 76, 78, somewhere in that range. What was number um, 75? You yeah, well, <laughs> uh, not, not four string. They're not in order. I'm just saying that that's a, to that's a total list. Um, and so we've looked at all those, tried to figure this all out. Ultimately, um, so much of what both MLS is doing and CONCACAF actually as well is driven by broadcast and the, and the broadcast experience and having, you know, a, that kind of proper um, viewing experience for, for people at home. And, um, and ultimately, you know, their, their choice is, play at the MLS venue, play at the venue that is a true soccer stadium that was built to do this. Um, they are open to other ideas, but not not super open. Well, as, as they saw what happened, I mean, they, they can see, you know, how it, how it affected you and how it affected the team as far as attendance and, you know, all the, ne all the negativity that you got from a lot of the fans. Um, I, was hope, I would hope that MLS would not be as pushy as far as set, sending you guys over there. At the same time, has there been any consideration of finding some parking lot someplace where you can, you guys can put together a 17,000 modular stadium that uh, could that could work temporarily or even get you out of Yankee Stadium and City Field? Is there any temporary space that you guys could could use until you can find your own stadium? We, we've looked at, we've looked into that. I, I don't think I don't think we'll be doing that. You know, I, I don't think that it's it's economically feasible um, for us to do that. And again, you know, there's a lot of you know a lot of parameters that, that need to be satisfied from a from a league standpoint uh, to be able to do that. And you know, we hope we hope the wait isn't that long until we're getting to a new stadium, you know? So, you know, for us, our, 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 we're looking at, hey, is this another, you know, three to four more seasons? Can we get through with Yankee Stadium and City Field for ideally all the games, if not the vast, vast majority of the games? And we believe that we can. Um, it's still tricky with baseball and the way that, you know, and, and the, having, they have 81 home games. And so there's, there's a lot of games, so it's tough to find those windows. And especially there's, you know, when you, add, you layer in, FIFA windows where the league's not scheduling games. You know, Yankees or Mets could both be on a long West Coast road trip, but if it's a FIFA window, it kind of disqualifies it. So, you know, or, or dates are set aside for Champions League, Leagues Cup, U.S. Open Cup, and, and things of that nature. So um, it, it's tricky, but we, we still are confident that we'll be in a scenario where we'll be able to play the vast majority of our, our matches between those two venues, if not all, and ideally all of the matches between those two venues. So Roberto uh, talked about Red Bull Arena, and it, it was obvious, you know, the, the supporters just uh, pretty much stayed away in droves. Yankee Stadium, we go back to the Red Bull match and 21,000-plus, but the most recent game, and it was a huge match on a Saturday night, you know, with playoff implications against D.C. United, it was only 13,000-plus. 
So do those numbers concern you? And uh, how do you go about still without a, uh, a stadium announcement, a stadium plan in place, how do you go about drawing them back into this? Is yeah, it just I winning mean, or, good, or what else? No, you know, I think, um, you know, to answer a question about how do I feel about crowds this year, actually they've met or exceeded our expectations. You know, going into this year, we had no idea what to expect, right? They, I mean, we were still full into COVID. There, when we did a schedule, like there wasn't a vaccine widely available. Um, when we started the season at Yankee Stadium, there was still, um, you know, testing requirements and, and socially distanced pod seating. I mean, it seems like a million years ago. That was still this season, you know. We've been through, like, so many different iterations of seating maps and, and rules and regulations and things like that just this season alone. Um, which is, you know, part of the reason with that uncertainty why why Red Bull Arena was a, was the was a backup venue for us this year um, because we didn't know if there's going to be games or if they're depending on how you know different variants and how things came back where would we have to play games behind closed doors again would we have games without fans there was so much uncertainty uh, heading into the season when we had to make those decisions about venues for 2021 that that you know kind of very complex decision you know decisions making uh, to to ultimately land where we landed. Um, not ideal, obviously far from ideal. Our fans made it aware and, and that's not, wasn't news to us. And so again, you know, I mean, when we, we weren't expecting, you know, sold out stadium at, at, at Red Bull Arena for games. I mean, we're, what, what we've been getting there, you know, 3,500 to 5,000 fans a game at, for the games at Red Bull is at or above what we were expecting. The games we've had at Yankee Stadium at or above what, what we've been expecting. Um, the, the, the atmosphere and the environment at Yankee Stadium specifically has been fantastic, regardless of how many fans have been here. Um, the fans that have come to the games at Yankee Stadium bring their A game every night, and they make it an awesome atmosphere, make it great for our players, and obviously our players respond uh, with the way we played game played in those games at Yankee Stadium. So, you know, to, to specifically to, to the game uh, on Saturday against D.C., you know, we believe that um, you know, big driver on that was that that game was originally scheduled for Red Bull Arena, um, as was the game tonight. Um, and those games uh, were, because they were scheduled there, um, people either, you know, we feel like you know, some fans made other plans, they had already kind of written it off, um, and you know, our, our show rate wasn't, you know, wasn't what we had hoped it would be. And you know, we would probably anticipate you know, something similar tonight, that those two games were just not seen. We, we didn't pre-sell those games. You know? like usually we have months and months and months to pre-sell those games, group sales, other things like that. And we just pretty much took zeros uh, for, for these two games. Our game against Philadelphia on, on um, decision day is going to be much closer to the Red Bull um, crowd. Um, we're, we're well above. It's, it, we're above where we were for the New England game um, already, you know, now, and we're still you know, two weeks out, two plus weeks out. So um, we, we're going to have a great, you know, end the season with a bang. And hopefully that game we're playing for a home game. You know, hopefully, you know, we're positioning ourselves that that game is going to be meaningful. We need all of our fans out there to, to help propel us into, you know, a top four seed so that we can get a home playoff game uh, here at Yankee Stadium. How much has the attendance problem also been the fact that season ticket prices became, well, they became variable in 2019, but nothing really happened in 2020. And then this year, 
a lot of, and I'll say us because I'm a season ticket holder as well, we're sort of surprised by all of a sudden seeing $37 tickets being raised to $54 tickets. And when I spoke to my rep and I was like, can you explain this to me, how my $37 ticket all of a sudden went to 54 And then they explained about how, you know, the Red Bull games were much cheaper, and so therefore with variable pricing, these games would be more expensive, although this one against Chicago is on the lower tier of, of that. But at the same time, it seems that, and speaking with other fans uh, of the team, that it upset a lot of people because even though it was announced, it was, seen, it was still, we all felt sort of blindsided by it. And also we feel that the ticket is really expensive, and I think that that winds up hurting the, the amount of people that wind up coming uh, to games. I always thought that New York City games, one of the great advantages compared to everybody else in New York City was that you could bring a family of four and, you know, for under a hundred bucks to be able to see, to see games where, you know, if you go to a Nick game, that's maybe half of a ticket. So, uh, how do you go back to fans now and try to explain this, or are you going to try to roll back prices now uh, for next season? Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of things to, to, to comment on there. So, you know, I'll start with, you know, general, with just pricing. Um, you know, for us, you know, we believe that our, our product is, is fairly priced. You know, we, um, we're not even in the top third of, of pricing in, in MLS, across MLS teams, and, and we're in the most expensive market by far. Um, and so, and, and we don't, you know, we don't have any desire in, in belief to be, for the reason, some of the reasons you, you laid out, to be, you know, the, the highest priced team in, in, um, in MLS like the Knicks are uh, in the NBA or, or, or the Rangers, you know, maybe in the NHL. I don't, I don't, I'm not as privy to that, um, to the NHL pricing. But, um, you know, so that, that's not our goal is not to be, you know, to be at, at the top um, in our, because we understand our current, scenario with venues and it's, it's a challenge and, and it's not um, you know it, it's not it wouldn't be commensurate with the overall experience if we were the highest priced um, ticket in, in MLS so that that's not not our goal I don't I don't see us um, I don't see us rolling ticket pr prices back I, I do think that um, you know we like I said before I think that we're we're fairly priced I think that um, we have very flexible policies and one of the reactions and we heard the fans loud and clear on, on the pricing and went back twice with additional kind of gives uh, to the fans uh, based on that feedback, allowing more trade-ins and things of that nature and allowing trade-ins and, and the credits from those trade-ins to roll over into the following season, which we had never done in the past. It was always, everything had to be used in, in that year. Um, so, in, and then, but interestingly, you know, you bring up with, with those extra trade-ins, um, what we saw, the trend was not Everyone trading in the most expensive games that they were, you know, that they were complaining that were too expensive. They were trading in the, the still the lower price games, which just adds to the the whole idea of that the pricing was done um, in in many ways correctly, um, and, and you know maybe not the actual pricing, but in terms of how you tier the games because it's meant to be a demand demand based pricing. And you know, I think the whole idea of variable pricing right now is a misnomer. There's there's really no such thing as variable pricing in the world anymore. It's just pricing, because literally everything that's priced is priced variably. Like depending on you know the day of the week, whether it's any sports ticket, but it's any museum tickets. It's going to the zoo. It's going to you know it's airplane. Like it's you know any kind of travel, train, peak, off peak, etc. Whatever you buy a ticket for in life. Um, is priced based on demand and, and the times or the days or the weeks or the months 
that are most demand cost more and the ones that are least demand cost less. And that's how pricing uh, works in everywhere in, in the world. And so for us, you know, we, we just follow the same kind of principles and, and we use, we're very data driven on, on this. We have a, we have a, a robust business intelligence team that uses, you know, dozens upon dozens of, of data points um, and that's that's how ultimately you know we come up with a structure it'll be the same in 2022 but if from a marketing perspective right when you see crowds of 22,000 or 23 versus crowds of 15 or or 13 doesn't that help you as far as the team is concerned when when you're able to say well we get more people and you know people want to be where the people are so like you know you used to have in studio 54 you know people being held outside so everybody go like what's going on over there even though they might have three right, people but, inside but but they're coming to regardless of the pricing they're still choosing to come to the most high demand games and so it actually that what you're saying actually speaks to making it even more pronounced um, which which we don't do, you know, we, which we think that, you know, we, we don't want to do. And one of the one of the key tenets of kind of the pricing is that we don't want to undercut city members pricing when we go to group sales and we go to individual game ticket pricing. So based on all the data that we have, we know kind of what market demand is for certain games. So a Wednesday in October when school's in session, you know, when, when school's in session, everything like that versus Chicago, not a marquee opponent, no offense to Chicago you know, would be a lower tier game. We know it's going to be a lower, and, and so we price it low because we want to be able to set our individual game pricing and our group pricing above member pricing. So members are still getting the best price for this game. Um, but if we, if we don't do it accurately enough, we won't be able to sell any individual game tickets or any group tickets because, because we're not pricing it based on true, what true demand stays for it. Conversely, on the opposite side, for Saturdays during the summer against marquee opponents, they're priced higher, and then we we then take the city members' price, and we add another ten percent, twenty percent, you know, twenty five percent in some in some instances to group sales and individual game tickets, and they still go. So, which makes us say like maybe maybe we're not high enough, you know. So like the problem is the low end ones we make them lower priced, and they still don't sell, and the high end ones we make them way high priced, and they still sell, and we could sell even more, and we could have priced them even higher. So you know the idea is how do we find the the right kind of you know, per middle ground that's right for the city members where we're able to sell tickets above individual tickets, group tickets above city member price. So city members are still getting the best price on every single game, regardless of the demand of the game. Hopefully that makes sense. Now I'm sure the, one of the things you're very much looking forward to is selling tickets and suites and marketing uh, your new soccer stadium. So, um, We'll get the Brad Sims update here, and we've read some things recently. Uh, the Bronx site, which has been proposed and was completely uh, the number one spot, um, there have been some uh, who have publicly said it's dead and that Queens is now becoming a, a primary target. What, how, do you, uh, how do you see things right now, and what, what, can, what can you tell the supporters Sure. Well, well, first, first, I would say you know, the, like, want to make it very clear that the that the club couldn't be more focused on this, and it's not you know, it's something that is number one priority has been, and and I know everyone's heard this before, but it's it's the truth. Um, you know, I, I'm on meetings and calls every single day on this. Today, my almost my whole morning was was on this topic. Um, and so, so what did they tell you today? Yeah. 
Well, yeah, good, <laughs> exactly. good question. Well, we're you know we're planning. This is this is part of the thing. We're planning for success. Like what we're working on is, what what are what are the different models look like? What do business models look like? How can how can we you know how can we work with um, all of our community, all the local community groups, all you know the elected officials? There's two part. There's two kind of two paths, right? We have to to be able to get to be able to get something done. We have to have a project that people want not just our fans but like the people of those communities that they want that makes sense for their communities um we thought we had we thought we had an amazing um you know amazing project in in the south bronx and and we're surprised and disappointed you know very disappointed that um you know that it didn't progress the way we expected it to this summer um and uh, because it is an incredible and, I, and i've said it you know, publicly before, it's an incredible project. Um, it's transformative to to uh, a neighborhood that is in need of transformation. Um, so, you know, ho- hopefully, you know, I know it's been written as as it's as it's dead. You know, we we're we're not going to ever completely write something off. There's nothing there's nothing kind of active uh, there right now. Um, um, and it's unfortunate. So when you're on these daily calls, you're talking about another site. You know, I, I think that we're you, we're much more focused and more enthusiastic about um, an opportunity in Queens. Um, we we also won't rule out other locations within the five boroughs. I've, I've had some fans ask me, "Is it pleased within the five boroughs?" I'm like, "Yes, we're only looking within the five boroughs." Um, so you know, we want to rule anything out. Um, I think you know, maybe um, you know, in in hindsight, you know, I think that we we put all of our all of our time effort energy and all of our eggs in, into one basket and um you know and now we have multiple baskets uh and i think that that's a better path to go because ultimately you know we you know by percentages we have a better chance of of hopefully getting one of these done so two, two things that come to mind for me one um as far as i understand there's an area right next to city field that's literally ordained to be used as an entertainment center meaning it's there for a stadium that it has already been set aside for that um and then the second part is uh, however have you spoken to steve cohen i presume that by this point you have so uh, how are those conversations going yeah you know i'm i'm not going to comment on on specific sites that is a good site though i i agree with you and that that is um that that would make a lot of sense and is a great site um but in terms of you know specifics i think you know like i, I go go forward there's a number of, of people um and groups that, that would be involved in that um you know not not in the least the city um and i'd say we're, we're really eager you know to engage with the the incoming the new administration uh that, that will be coming in um in, in the very near future on that that will be a huge piece all the other kind of elected officials um you know in in the area uh and and you know community boards and, and other community groups are all kind of stakeholders in this and um, so it's not just kind of one, it's not just like the Mets would be a key, you know, person they are, they would be. Um, but, you know, we, you know, like I said before, I think that we have a you know, great relationship with the Mets. Um, and, you know, we're, we're planning on playing games there uh, next year and, and in and years going forward. Um, and they've been, they've been great to work with in the past and, and have been really great to work with right now as we've been working on the 2022 schedule. So no matter where the stadium ends up, uh, you've been involved in a project the club has since 2016, that's building mini pitches throughout the five boroughs. And uh, the goal was 50, 
and apparently that goal is going to be achieved this year. It is, yeah. It's something that we're very proud of. Uh, you know, I think it's it's the most significant um, initiative of its kind in the country. Uh, you know, and making a commitment, and and these are one of the things where like a lot of people you know make commitments, and we you know we get asked when we make commitments, and then to actually say we're going to do this over five years, and then to be able to deliver on it, I think is is extremely important, um, and especially over the last two years in COVID. I mean, I, I'm shocked. I couldn't believe that we were able to, to construct any of these things in 2020. Um, we, we were able to do seven. Uh, we've been pacing kind of 10 a year, so we're a little bit behind. So that meant we had to do 13 uh, this year in 2021, and, and we will have all of those 13 completed, which means we'll have 50 pitches um, completed in within the five boroughs. Um, it's a it's been a, th- a $3 million uh, commitment, a public-private partnership um, with our partners uh, at the Mayor's Fund, the, the U.S. Soccer Foundation, um, NYC Parks, Adidas, and Eddie had together with, with the with CITC um, to to make this all happen, um, and you know it, it's it's an incredible testament to get done 50 safe places across the five boroughs uh, for kids to play, um, and uh, you know big big testament to to everyone that's been involved, all of our partners. We're excited to. Um, to announce a, a, a second phase of that, which we'll be talking about on November 10th um, at, at our ribbon cutting uh, ceremony. So stay tuned uh, for that. Uh, tease out uh, some some big news there. But um, you know we're we're committed. You know this wasn't just a five-year commitment. Now we could, now we're going to walk away. Um, you know we're we're committed for the long haul um, to to build safe spaces safe spaces to play for kids throughout the five boroughs to activate those to give you know to give programming um uh, to kids and um it's it's been it's been amazing and we're gonna and we're gonna keep it going so i've seen the fields everywhere actually there's two in my neighborhood one of them that will be uh, inaugurated on uh, november Good. 10th Perfect. at my son's old school awesome so uh yeah i saw that whole thing being built it was great to see and kids Fantastic. are already playing on it by the way i just oh, wanted to know that people have climbed the fence <laughs> okay and are already right. playing on it so uh they All might right. have to clean it up a little bit but okay for the inauguration but has there been any thought that aside from mini fields that maybe that, you know there's a lot of large fields that that really need help in new york city either to be converted into turf which is easier than playing on, on grass because of the fact that the grass just gets destroyed all the time. Yep. So is there going to be any sort of uh, help from New York City that aside from mini fields that you're going to be able to do maybe uh, full-size fields in some areas? We, we have talked about that in the past. Um, we are not there with, with anything concrete on, on at this point. Um, I think it's, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges, I think, that, that go on with, various entities that we need approvals from to be able to do anything and it's hard and it's it's challenging to to find these spots really um because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, different kind of stakeholders that that you need to have um you know lined up for them um we'd love to be able to do to do that as well i think right now you know we we're focused on kind of these these mini pitches um and we'll see where, where kind of the next the next iteration goes those dirt fields, man, some of the great players in the well, world. That's true. where they develop their game, on the dirt, in the ruts. Yeah. I say just leave it alone. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> hey, before we uh, depart, Brad, and uh, we're with Brad Sims, President and CEO of New York City FC, the um, MLS Reserve League, which uh, is going to occur, um, can you confirm? Look, there's a team across the street at the World Class who's training a lot. 
We've seen some of the boys over there. So can you confirm you've got a team and uh, what's what's the latest on that and where you're going to play and all that stuff? Then, well, anybody then, that observes then, training uh, of the first yeah, team I, have seen the, <clears throat> well, I would say the reserve team walking across the street to train. Sure. So there, there's been, you know, I, I would say a, a a soft launch of kind of a, a of reserve games that have been happening, you know, throughout this year. Um, we we think that having a having a lower division team um, is is critical to kind of the player pathway um, for for our academy kids that are coming up. And and you know the reality is we have twenty seven or twenty eight you know first team players, you know players signed to first team contracts, and and you only you know dress. 20 a game right and um so you end up with 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 guys that you know that aren't able to play that, that need to stay sharp um that need to develop and um right now the options are you can loan loan them out and, and we've done that with a with a few players you know justin hack uh, you know notably uh juan pablo torres is, is loaned out uh, this year as well um but then you you they don't get the they don't get the experience of training with with our guys and being you know part real part of the team and not playing our style and and all these kind of things. So there's all these things that, that that you lose when you do that. So in some ways they're they're getting they're getting to play and they're getting games and and that's good. But you really ideally you want them in in your system with your coaches and your style of play and your formations and and at your facilities and and all together. So um, you so know, the announcement is pending. Is that what you would? Uh yeah, is that you the know, I, word to use here? I, I think that that it, it's you know this is one of the where there's smoke, there's fire, you know type type things. Well, you're right? playing you're playing reserve games now. Well, we're playing games now. <laughs> okay, we're gonna yeah. There's gonna be a league. We're gonna have a team. Um, you know the specifics of where where we play, um, and, and like all the specifics are are still to be determined. Um, you know we. You know, we have a, a training ground that was was built for a first team. You know, not a first team and a second team. So, you know, we th- there's a lot of trickle down um, impacts. You know, to the organization is you know us looking at infrastructure um, needs both from a training standpoint and from a playing game standpoint. Um, and so there's a, there's a ton of considerations. I think you know the league is is going to be of the mindset of. Let's get this thing running, and and then you know, and 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 we'll figure out a lot of the details uh, um, as, as we get. Yeah, you know, I think which you know, I think the most important aspect of this is player development. We've seen in this league, um, you know, just the explosion of young talents coming up through academy programs that that are European caliber talents that are. UEFA Champions League caliber talents, um, and there's well, more of that on the way. The story um, is Weston McKinney telling, talking about FC Dallas, where he was playing on the B field with the academy or reserve yeah. team, whatever it was at the time, and looking over at the other field where the first team was and saying, that's where I want to be. Of course, and, and but then they also, if you're all together in one complex and you can see, and but you interact and you, and you can see the pros – how they handle themselves, how they like just being immersed in that um, is hugely important, and and so th- there's such a massive opportunity in this country, in this league, in our market. Um, you know, I think you know to, to grow talent, and so that's something that we're we're hugely focused. We're hugely favorable on 
um, having a, a second team and having a, a second a lower division league for for MLS. Um, and we think that it, it's a, a great thing for our players. We I, you know, personally, I think we have a we have a competitive advantage in in our market, um, and it just gives us more opportunity to get more players, develop more players, develop more star talent, and um, and so you know we we can't wait to get it going. It's also a Officially. profit center. I mean, it's a profit center. I mean, there's sell, no doubt. Selling young talent is a profit center for. I team. mean, you talk. You know, yes. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it from my standpoint, you know, really, you know, our our three biggest revenue line items across the business, in no particular order, you know, are going to be our ticket ticketing, mm-hmm. sponsorship, and player sales. You know, those the really when you when you boil it down, um, and you know, there's there's some some deals. You know, you know. Joe Scally this year will be more rev- you know the sale of Joe Scally and kind of the the residuals that that we're earning from his performance uh there which which thank you Joe uh but you know <laughs> but um you know it, you know it is is bigger than any sp- any sponsorship deal that we've done th- this yeah. year or that many teams have done this year yeah. um and so um you know f- for us that that there's just a, a a massive opportunity uh in the player development standpoint and but it means that we're, we're we need to and will invest more in infrastructure we need to and and will invest more in our academy and our players and our coaches all of the above so is the Etihad academy center are you already looking to expand it i know that you have possibility of being able to either use your own more we're, we're more looking of that at, or be able to buy more of that we're we're looking at it at it a ton of different options. Okay. Um, more options than than even the stadium uh, search. So we, we're we're looking at it. Could you know Orangeburg? We love it there, and and it's great. And there is opportunity to expand um, geographically. You know, to to house an academy. Main. It's not the most centrally located. I would say. Um, so you know, we're 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 open to and exploring um, all other ideas, but including you know expanding and expansion in, in Orangeburg. I do want to tell you both that I'm rereading Inverting the Pyramid because Ted Lasso, Coach Beard, is always reading it. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, you yes. watched Ted Lasso? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just read something this morning. In 1912, the Tottenham Hotspurs became the first team in England to start a reserve team. And they really? became that became the feeder system for the Spurs. 1912. All so right. here we go. 2022. All right. Welcome back. Great interview by Glenn and Roberto. A host of topics covered in that long-range interview with Brad Sims. John Rojas, I want to go to you. What were some of the highlights uh, from that interview for you? Yeah, I mean, guys, once again, congratulations on that. Uh, We all know that uh, Sims doesn't speak that much on the media. And uh, even though uh, some fans may think that these were like softballs at him, the idea is that he is speaking, right? His mind, he's speaking for the club and he is talking on every single aspect that fans may want to listen about. And I'm curious, Glenn and and Roberto, about a few things, probably tickets pricing and the way he is, you know, explaining the way the team works on that could be one of the things that it will resonate on fans a lot. The other thing will be... um, what he mentioned about uh, Josh Kali, right? And the money that is going to come in because of the production that Josh Kali is having in Germany. That, I think that's important. And of course, um, um, stadium. So I don't know, Roberto or, or Glenn, I think Roberto with the tickets thing will be better because he is actually 
right? He's the man. He's a season holder. Yeah, exactly. So he gets all the emails and he gets the exactly all the notifications of the increase in price. That's right. Right. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, I've been a season ticket holder since year one. So uh, I've been through all of this. And uh, yeah, I I was honestly very disappointed mid-season when all of a sudden when they were coming back to Yankee Stadium that my tickets were going from $37 to $54. Now, I have money in the bank, per se, because what they did, which I thought was a very nice thing that they did, was that for the for or any game that you wanted to go to or any game that was played at Red Bull Arena, you could opt out at no penalty. And also those games were priced very, very cheaply. So in my case, it was mostly a fact that there was no way to get my son who, uh, you know, who I have either uh, my wife or my, or a friend of mine take him to the games to get out to Red Bull Arena to be able to watch to watch the games. It's 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 a problem. So uh we didn't go or they didn't go to any of the red bull games uh or the red bull arena games so all the games have been here and so then all of a sudden i'm looking at ticket prices for the games that are that is being deducted from me and i'm calling them and I'm like, why is all of a sudden i'm being deducted 54 dollars, you know per, per ticket and they explained to me about the variable pricing and all these things you know which was introduced in 2019 but i i still think that that you know it, it caught me a little bit on the blind side and at the same time uh i i thought that the tickets were high and i made the point as you guys heard in the interview that it should be that new york city should have tickets that you can bring a family of four to a game for a hundred bucks and you know we have a lot of high income people in new york and we also have a lot of low income people in new york and we have as we explained, a lot of teams that charge a lot of money for tickets. If you try to if you go and see what a Nick ticket costs or a Ranger ticket costs, especially now that both teams are good, you know, we'll understand, you know, within another couple of weeks that Jets and Giant tickets, you're going to be able to get them in the secondary market for a song. It's going to, they're going to cost nothing. Uh, so well, I, what, I can I interrupt that, for just a second? Yeah. What what did you think about when he said uh that uh, it's fairly priced, not even in the top third of uh, of MLS and one of the certainly more lucrative markets in MLS. Uh, he he actually has a point, and and what I'm gonna what I've been able to find, okay, is that the secondary market, how much tickets cost on the secondary market, and for a team like LAFC. All right, that is the most expensive ticket on the market, which is $111 per average on the secondary market. The Timbers are $1 behind. After that, believe it or not, Inter-Miami was 90 But I have a feeling that towards the end of the season, this article was written a couple of months ago. So towards the end of the season, it was a hell of a lot less. And so then you go Atlanta, 87, Seattle, 86. And then you've got to go all the way down to third from last, Okay. New York City at 36, the Revolution at 34, and the Impact at 26 are the ticket prices. Now, for the game against Chicago, I looked up how much tickets were. Now, again, that was a game which was secondary market. Uh, it was one of the lower price games because there were two tiers. It was on the lower end. But you could get tickets for $10 on the secondary market to get into in, into Yankee Stadium for that game. And that what's the cheapest? the case. What's the cheapest ticket you could buy just through the normal process? 
Like if they I went believe to the gate. Um, it, it used to be about $25. I'd, I'd literally have to look it up okay. and maybe I'll look it up while, while we're doing this because I mean, as a season ticket holder and you know, and he mentioned that membership people will always get the best prices. Yeah. So uh, that, that is us. And how about, and, uh, uh, and, well, one point I want to make is that inner Miami should uh, uh, pay refunds to uh, a majority <laughs> of their supporters. Uh, they, I tell you, I don't know what it is about Miami, but Every time I see him play, we've done two games in person, and I've watched probably three other games. They're terrible. But anyway, yeah. that's we, we're we're not talking we're not talking football right now. And and they, the, the, the more the the Inter Miami, the more Miami thing that could be around. You know, is Chinese money, celebrities like Beckham, politicians like the Mass, a crypto money uh, sponsor, and fans angry <laughs> for a bad product. <laughs> Well, what else about the ticket prices, guys? I the other thing. Um, oh, he also said, uh, Roberta, you asked if they'll roll back the prices because you felt that the ticket was too expensive. That more people would come to the games if you lowered the price of the tickets. And he countered that by saying the demand of the higher price ticket was greater than the lower price ticket. Yeah, and I reheard that. I I, I reheard that. And what he was talking about is that team that uh, families exchanging or season ticket holders exchanging tickets for further games. So you had an opportunity if you couldn't make uh, the Chicago game to be able to turn that in and then use that money that you've turned in. And it's money now, not just tickets because they're different prices for to be used towards uh, maybe extra tickets for the Philadelphia game. So uh, that, that's what he was talking about. And he was saying that there were more people in the lower categories doing those sort of exchanges than the people in, in the higher categories. But, you know, maybe there is, but when you look around Yankee Stadium, right? And we remember season one, and then of course you had, especially towards the end, you had Villa and you had Pirlo and you had Lampard, right? I mean, and they were averaging close to 30,000 people a game. And you, you look at the way those crowds look then versus what they look like now, and, and it's not the same. And, you know, there's a plethora of reasons for that. It isn't team performance because the team has gotten so much better. There's star power, which they don't have. And, uh, and, and I think that New York City is a star power sort of city, yet they've also told us, you know, in, in, insinuated in the past that unless it was Messi or Ronaldo, they really weren't going to go and invest in that because there's no good return on investment on that sort of uh, purchase of a high-end star. So, uh, you know, we'll have to yeah. see what happens. I mean, maybe when they get the stadium, you know, and that was, you know, that, that was sort of the inference when they get the stadium, you know, things like that might change. And I think that the investment in players and the type of players that they have will change. But the uh, thing, Roberto, that, that's something that I may add to that, to, to that analysis. And is yes, I mean, everybody understands that the team is in a market like New York and, and that this is, you know, a private entity, uh, it's a business. Uh, tickets is one of the revenues of the team, of course. But at the same time, I mean, one will think that not being able yet for whatever reason, that are understandable reasons, most of them, not being able to uh, fulfill the dream of the fans of having a stadium now after all these years may help them to go, you know, easy on 
tickets for the fans, for the loyal fans that are there. You want to, you know, keep them with you, even though you're not, you know, fulfilling your promise. And and in that sense, the the best way to do it is with tickets. Okay, so I've done a search on Ticketmaster, taking out the um, uh, taking out what is the um, the resale tickets. Okay, and I'm looking at lowest prices for this. And unless I got this wrong somehow, the lowest price for a regular ticket that you can buy for this game is $48.50. Which game? The and Philadelphia that's general game? admission. Which game? Philadelphia? The, for the Philadelphia game. All right. Uh, the $51 seventh. This is, is in uh, row, section 207. Let me see where my section is, if there's anything near there. It goes from two, uh, 234, which is that. So, like, behind the goal, 234 is 51 as well. Um so th that's where it's Which in Yankee Stadium, you're not going to see anything behind the goal, to be honest. I mean, your goal, the goal in front of you, that's it. Yeah, it's a no. rough seat. That's yeah, a rough seat. true. There, rough. Are a number, there are a number of people, though, that sit right there or just to the right of it, uh, when mm -hmm. it, to the right of uh, home plate and first base, uh, if you look at the baseball configuration. But you know where I mean. Let's, <laughs> okay, hey. so standard admission in the section, which is right next to mine, 229. 65 bucks All and right. that's a and and that's just for somebody walking up and buying a ticket um i pay for that one that's the one that went up to 54 from 37 to 54 and everybody else has to pay 65 so get season right. tickets it's a lot cheaper yeah and they uh he felt confident about the philadelphia match tom that they're going to yeah. have a better crowd than dc united which was thirteen thousand, uh and you know, you heard his explanation there. So what do well, you got, Tom? Let's, well, we're going to talk about that Philadelphia match here at the end of the, the podcast, but I want to bring up John's second point, because to me, that was the most interesting part of, of your interview. I mean, the whole thing was great, but the, this is at the end of the day, a business and it is about money and, and you know, um, uh, revenue and generating that revenue and sponsorships uh, and ticket sales and, player sales and that point on Joe Scally amazing part of that interview talking about how much money just he his production and his value is going to bring the team you know normally John England when we think about player value we, we immediately go to the European leagues and think about the EPL and some of these transfers that come from places like Germany and the Dutch league and how these teams make massive massive amounts of dollars based on the young talent that they're able to then sell to the, the upper divisions of the, these premier league teams. We don't associate that type of money yet with MLS, but it is pretty amazing to think how much impact a guy like a Joe Scali can have on your bottom line. And as you continue to grow and to develop players and to send them on, that ultimately becomes a major, major source of revenue for your team. Well, as of 2019, uh, there are now solidarity payments uh, to MLS clubs, which is a, is a massive boost towards clubs now having the in incentive to put money and big money uh, into their academies. And not only that, Glenn, the, the percentage of, of uh, money that the teams in MLS can keep for themselves and not share with the league. Right. When they when they are selling or they are having any kind of, of relationship with 
their players, the players that they have developed, is now a lot better than before when it was almost 50-50 or 60-40. You know, now teams yeah. can keep most of that money if they are selling players that they develop. You know, they're academy players, homegrown players. That money is the bigger chunk of that is for the team. It, it, it doesn't happen before. It didn't happen before. Yeah. And that, that's, yeah. That's, a, that's a plus. And what Glenn was mentioned, what uh, Tom was mentioning, Glenn, and you, you can see that because you've been on the, on, on the game around the, the, the tri-state area so much, is that it's, it's a big motivation for, for small clubs, for, for parents, for players, you know, because now you're not, why am I going to get two MLS? Why am I going to play for NYCFC? Well, not only that, there's actually a pipe for you, right? A path to go out if you want, if you reach to your goal, and, and the club is interested on you getting to that point because the club is making money too. Right, and, and, they, and they made that quite clear with the with James Sands, for instance. It's like exactly. whenever he's ready to go, you know, the price has to be right, but right. we're not going to stand in his way, so to speak. And, yeah. and that's the other side of the coin. I mean, in today's market, and, and, and I was having this discussion early on today, um, agents uh, and clubs think that MLS is a good option because it's cheap. But the other way to see it is it's not cheap. Is the actual market, you know, the other amount of money that we all hear for players are um, numbers that are not real. I mean, it's surreal to think, right, that the player rise will be so much millions and millions and millions of dollars. And these prices are actually real, you know, it's, it's reachable for a team to get good talent that they can polish and finish develop without, you know, breaking their banks or, you know, going well, bankrupt. Way, and it's the way clubs survive in a lot of parts of the world that are in, in smaller leagues. Like, well, uh, Eber, that, uh, that club Rijeka from, in Croatia, they completely survive based on developing players and then selling players. Uh, the assistant coach told me that when I did an interview with him when Eber was signed. He goes, this is, this is what we do. So uh, Eber's an example of that, but uh, there are many, many others uh, within that club structure. So, and that all happened, uh, Roberto, that discussion when we brought up the Reserve League, and you called it you know, a profit center. It, that was a great way to term it. And the order, Tom and Roberto, ticketing, the order of, of uh, business, ticketing was first, sponsorship was second, and now player sales third. And we wouldn't have heard that five years ago. And see, this is the important part of this that we've got to talk about in MLS and that people have to understand. You can't have just one model and say, this is what we're going to be. Well, we're going to be a team that buys players and tries to win championships. We're a team that uh, is going to be really low and try to get low, you know, low price players and then, you know, try to do the best. T teams have to be multifaceted. You have to have strong academies and you have to be able to develop players and you have to be able to take those players, use them, develop them, 
and then sell them on and, and make profits on them. That's one. The other, the other thing, you're able, you should be able to go to Latin America or to Africa or to Asia or to wherever and be able to buy players at, at reasonable prices and good prices, like New York City has done with Tati Castellanos and they've done with uh, Medina, they've done with um, Santiago Rodriguez, right? We're not going to talk about Tyler's Magno because they paid a lot of money for Tyler's Magno. Close to twelve. But, but with Santiago, so. with, with Santiago, uh, Roberto, it happens uh, something that is really attached to New York City FC, which is being part of the Siri Group. Because right, no, that's, exactly. That's they have actually, an advantage that, there. They have a huge exactly. advantage because of but, that. But hold on, because it's very important. Because it seems told you guys something that the fans may, if they want to re-listen to it, it's very important because he is giving you. Uh, a door in on how they work inside. He's, you know, he's part of the responsibilities and how they re get the responsibilities around and how he talks and the structure of the team on those senses and uh, the being ready for competition and the scouting and all that kind of stuff. Who is actually the one, how the conversation is going, how is the communication inside the club? Because um, I think that what he... The, the way he expressed all this let fans know that even though New York City FC is a city group entity, they work um, on the run on those things. Yes, they do have the support of those that all those tools that they can have from the group, scouting, relationships, right? You have Torque down in South America, that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there's nobody out there in Manchester saying, hey, you, bring this player. Hey, you, sell these tickets at this price. Hey, you, right? No. I mean, they, they're doing it here. Yes, we don't. Right, they have independence. They're all independent. They're doing it here. And, and they make, you know, some, some are things and decisions that fans don't like and don't, some could be mistakes. But is the way that they're doing it here. They're not being, they're not puppets. Exactly. There's one other thing I just want to finish my thought and that my whole point is that you should be able to approach owning a team and developing players and buying players and selling players and looking to win championships by doing several different things and not just being married to one model. You're not just an academy team, you know, that only is going to develop academy players and they're going to focus on that and then try to sell them and or you're only going to be doing one or two things. You know, you, you've got to do, I believe, all four to be able that, to be really, really successful. Well, well, trust me. I mean, I would lo I'd love, you know, the, the Hunts have their way of doing it. And I mean, they the only money they're really making is by selling players in their academy. But it, nothing else is working for them. They're, they're, they're not playing well. They haven't, they've, they've missed the mark several times on importing players. It's not like they haven't tried and sort of thing. But, but, and their marketing is horrific, absolutely horrific in that area. And so they've got a specific set of problems when they have like amazing infrastructure, they have a beautiful stadium, they have so many things going for them. You know, obviously the best academy based on the amount of players and, you know, how they've done since they've left. So, you know, the, kudos to them for all those things. That doesn't talk or address about the other shortcomings that they have in other areas, which makes that team less successful than it should be.
Well, the shortcomings to me after uh, listening to Brad is the infrastructure to try to, you've got the reserve team, you've got the academy, and you've got the first team. They should all be in the same facility. That That's the optimum. And and we talked about it. And I gave that example of uh, McKenney at FC Dallas looking at over, over the other field saying, I want to be there. But that's, it's important when, um, I, when I got to tour Atlanta United, uh, the first year it was built, uh, we were down there for the game. It was just sensational. I got to view young players and first team players interacting on a normal yep. day. And they cross paths through the fields. Yeah, and or in the lunchroom or you know, whatever. So, you know, Maxime Cheneau could sit with the 15-year-old central defender, you know, for the New York City Academy. And how how much that um really can play a role in this development and that's where brad was talking development means ultimately from a business sense money and right and yeah. glenn uh sorry to interrupt but there's something that no, we sorry. should remember from that conversation it is um uh, he said it very clearly yes we are in the business of selling players for us is important it's going to be a huge uh, avenue of revenue but that means that we're gonna always a lot, um, yeah, a lot of invest more money on academy, on infrastructure, on coaching, on, yeah. right? I mean, it's not right, only right. getting players, develop and sell with whatever field we have and whatever coaches we have. They're willing and ready to go next step. I mean, this is the proof that we can do it. We have players now that are generating money for us. So now, Let's get to the next step and let's make this a real machine. And I think, I don't know if you got the same sense, but um, I think the next step is going to be exactly the same as Red Bull just did a couple definitely, of weeks ago, definitely. announcing I don't another, see the, yeah. right? I don't see I, them I, I expanding. Know. They're not going to expand Orange. No, that, they're going to do in a, the cards. Brand, a brand new facility. Yeah, no question. Even though you have a really good one now, which it is, is good. The, the case of Red Bulls. Red Bulls has a really good facility right now. Well, maybe they can sell it to world class and they can have the whole area and, you know, make a make something off of that. But, yeah, it, there, there's probably not a th didn't you get that feeling, Roberto? He he wasn't uh, he wasn't really suggesting they were going to expand Orangeburg. Uh, their current no, facility. even though they have land there to be able to yeah, expand. Yeah, they but, have land, but uh, it seemed like they had given it a lot of thought and they really want to find a place where they yeah. can put together. You know, sure. a lot of fields and, uh, you know, space for their academy, space for uh, the first team, space for the second team, you know, all, all these things. And they want to put them together. And I think it's a really good investment for that. Yeah. Yep. For well, sure. Speaking of facilities, uh, Glenn and Roberto and John, anytime you talk to the president of New York City FC, the, the topic of the stadium is going to come up. How could it not? Um, it would be nice if they would just say, here are the two or three sites, but we're never going to get that specific details. It's always just going to be the fact that, yes, it's a conversation of topic every day. But what I thought was intriguing, Glenn, from the interview was it sounds like more and more Queens is going to be the main area of focus and maybe to the point of wanting to have more games at City Field or at least develop that relationship makes sense if that ends up ultimately being the, the place where that the team has their home and, and their own stadium. Yeah, Brad. Hey, Glenn, Glenn, a little something there just yeah. before you, because testament to that <laughs> in-depth conversation, we almost an hour into this, and we just gonna start talking about the stadium. 
Well, that's which is true. the most important thing. <laughs> it is, but no, it is. There's no but about it. Um, I'd say the Brad Sims talked about having, uh, you know, the the fact that they may have made a mistake just centering on one site, and now there's multiple, meaning more than just Queens. But there's there's little question. I thought Roberto had a, you know, Roberto understands that site very well, described it perfectly. And all Brad would say is that's a great site, you know, and which <laughs> essentially he was saying, yes, that's where we're looking. He didn't say that. I'm no, he didn't say that, but I'm suggesting that's what he meant. But he did not say that. I like to make sure that that's uh, very clear here. So yes. uh, it's the only place they're looking. And yeah, the relationship with the Mets is important. But he talked about a lot of other things there, too. But uh, I think you, you have to you remember know, that Queensboro FC is around there as well. And they have political support in that area. So uh, that, that, that plays an important part of uh, what might happen. I mean, do they wind up with some sort of shared agreement with, uh, with Queensboro? Because, I mean, they, they've been talking to the Mets for a long, long time. And, and as I just said, they have political support in the area for a stadium. I Although, think, although I mean, temporarily, they're going to be at your college for, for yeah. a few years. They, they're building right now. They're about either halfway done or about to finish, they'll be ready for next season. They, uh, a 7,000 seat stadium that they, that they're putting together yeah. at your college. Well, I, at this point, if we're going to talk about Queensboro. You have to, you have to be very upfront about one of the owners is David Villa. And is he persona non grata at New York city FC due to, um, you know, the things that have been so widely reported and how that might impact this relationship, I, you know, it's it's per it's a perfect setup. If if New York City moves to Queens, Queensboro FC should be their USL team or or whatever exactly. USL one or League One, whatever it is. Yes, John. Uh, that's Glenn. That's two different things, and I totally agree with your point. Uh, but I think what uh, what New York City FC uh, sees on on that site that have them, I wouldn't say optimistic, but uh, seems what's the word that he used. Um, he didn't say optimistic about that topic. He said motivated, probably. No. Yeah, he said, hold on. It's uh, said, much more focused and enthusiastic. On enthusiastic, the exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What, I think, what I think they see on that side that makes them more enthusiastic is that all that previous work has been done. You know, the work with the community, the political work, whoever it is, don't, don't put a name or a brand on it, but you know that because the studies are there. Community wanted there, the land is for that. Um, of course, everything related to um, possibility of parking spaces is there. Public transportation is there, the studies yeah. are there. So it's, it's a lot to go through very easily because you don't have to go through all that and you have the support of the community. That goes, you know, the, the, it's probably not the right word, but the, site has been clean quote-unquote already for a project like this yeah well one of the important things is that in the area of city field there is already an area that has been blocked out that is entertainment and therefore you don't need special permits or to change anything it's already blocked out and it's enough for a stadium also for for 
you know, what we understand. If they build a stadium there, I would think it would be larger than the project that they already had envisioned in the Bronx because you can make a larger stadium there. The Bronx, you know, one was shoehorned into this, you know, this area where, you know, they were sort of limited in how big the stadium could be. Hey, did you guys see the report? It came out of Sportico and I and I never followed up on it, uh, but there's a consideration for a casino hotel in that area as well. So, yes. that's that's it was, probably it was part of the project. It was part of the beginning. That was project. part of it. OK, but it was mm-hmm. quoting Steve Cohen and uh, it has that... is being there for a long time, Glenn, All right. uh, since they since they started to move away those businesses there of. Uh, car parts and cleaning out the streets and all that by the side of the of the of the stadium of the Mets stadium the city field uh, that has been part of the project and the project includes something for for like like Roberto said recreation and uh, a hotel and casino could be part of the project wow so go to the casino uh, it wouldn't have a sports book though I suppose just uh, if it had a sports book you could go there bet on the New York City FC game, which is played at one. And then you bet on the Mets game that comes in at eight o'clock that night and you make a day of it. <laughs> and then you, yeah, you use a few steps. You take, you, you make your steps between one and the other stadium. Can you, you could legally bet in New York, right? there. There's sports book possibility. Is that true or not? Uh, so New Jersey, you can. Legal, legal betting was, um, I believe legal betting was approved in New York. And uh, it's it, like one of the last things of the Cuomo administration. All right. Well, that's that's a minor portion of this, but that kind of enhances the the entire outlook, though. I mean, if I have yeah. to I have to make, double check that. That's OK. Yeah, you live there, man, but I guess you don't gamble. I don't bet. I'm not. I'm, uh, I'm not that. I like to go down to Monmouth Park, uh, you know, bet on a couple of horses and then uh, they got the sports book there. And, you know, uh, I like to look at uh, see what's going on in the in the world of sports. You know, you know what I mean, Tom? I would just like to see you like in a big Kentucky Derby outfit. Exactly. <laughs> I'm would love to own the horses that you bet no on. Kidding. Yeah. I have, As I of have to, April 2021. April 2020. All right. So good. So you can, there's sports book and legal sports betting uh, in New York City. So yeah, in uh, person was approved in 2019. I mean, it was signed law in 2019. So there's going to be a new administration in the city. I, you know, I don't follow the politics, but, uh, the, the sense is, is that they will also be supportive of this project uh, in Queens. And uh, yeah, so look, uh, I, I think there was they were hopefully being poised to make an announcement about the Bronx, which would have already occurred had it not been for this. Uh, whatever happened. And, <laughs> you know, and as Brad Sims said during the interview, he kind of, uh, you know, altered the you know thinking a little bit as to as to what was going on. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, the soccer stadium's going to happen. We all know that. But and and it and you know the thing about Queens, I, I can't remember who I was discussing this with, but and it made so much sense to me. Long Island, you're going to get people from Long Island who could just get on the LIRR and just lay off at the uh, City Field and in that area and, and whatever this uh, stadium is called. And so that's going to flushing. You get nobody from Long Island to Yankee Stadium, I bet. It's hard to get there. It's hard to um, get there, yeah. The most important part of that is that the entire area around City Field, Flushing, Roosevelt Avenue, 
is a soccer hotbed in New York City. Corona, it yeah. Is the Jackson Latin, Heights. Yeah, it's all, that whole thing. That is all South American, Central American, uh, Latin American, Mexican. I mean, it's all in. It's, crazy. it's all in soccer. So once you're there, and I mean, they should be doing this from day one anyway. And we've had our spe- we, we've had tried, our talks though. about this. They've got a really hyper market to Hispanics for New York City FC. They're going to have several games at City Field next year. Exactly. So, you know, they, they better start this year. I know that they've had internal discussions about upping their uh, marketing uh, to Hispanics in for the team. I have not been privy to those conversations. I've not been invited to those conversations, having been here, you know, since 1970 and been involved in in, in that community, in that group, you know, once, once I started working at Noticias del Mundo in 1980, El Diario La Prensa in 1983 as sports director, and I was intimately involved with, uh, with all those groups and, 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 and the leaders of uh, those soccer teams and those soccer leagues over there. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a treasure throne, right, of soccer uh, love that this team has got to tap into. And uh, hopefully next year will be the start of that. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see a lot more support for New York City. First for them coming to the Bronx, definitely going to City Field. And hopefully once the stadium is built, and hopefully it's in Queens, I really hope that it is next to City Field because I think that is the best place for a stadium, a soccer stadium in New York City, is right next to City Field. It's the best place, it's not even close. It's the best and not place, only that, the second Roberto, best place, and it's the third best place. Not only that, uh, New York City FC can easily have another avenue of revenue with that stadium there because international games there are going to be jam-packed. Whatever Absolutely. team you bring in from South America, from Central America, you're going to have the stadium full. So Right. I mean, that. you've got to make that stadium above 30,000. I think that the sweet spot for New York City is between 32 and 35,000 people. I think that if you do that and you do the upper deck, that's if you do an upper deck that's about 10,000, if New York City doesn't sell out season tickets where they can fill the entire stadium, then you do what Seattle does, you do what Atlanta does, and you just, and Vancouver is the other team, and you cut off a certain section and say, we're only selling 25,000. And if you want to Come in, you better get season tickets. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to be opening up the stadium every time we're going to get 500 over 25,000. You know, we're not doing that. We're not going to open the upper deck. You're going to get accustomed to buying season tickets. And then once there's a waiting list, then we open the upper deck or you do it a couple of times a year and that's it. He was an architecture major at Brooklyn College, Roberto Abramowitz, everybody. There he is. Not even that. Glenn. (laughs) Yes, Roberto's ready. Roberto's ready to take the seven train and decide and put a mark where his booth is going to be. And that's <laughs> that's a sneaky idea to build an upper deck, but never have it in use. Hey, it, it, uh, it, it, it's not a sneaky idea. You go to Atlanta, and that's what they do. They close it off at forty-two thousand, and they have another sixty. You know, they have another twenty thousand or twenty-five thousand seats that they block off, except for four times a year. They do the exact same thing in Seattle. So it's it's not a novel idea. I I didn't create this idea. I saw it someplace else where it works. And you know, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. 
So New York City should imitate that. And then, you know, when they bring in, you know, teams from Ecuador and from Colombia and from Peru and from Mexico and to have these exhibition games and, you know, New York City should be plastered all over that event and that all over that stadium. And you make sure that people coming in and coming out are getting New York City banners, New York City baseball caps, whatever it is, even though they're going to go see America de Cali play America de Mexico. You know, you make well, sure but, that everybody gets something that's New York City FC so they can wear that around. And, you know, that's free advertising aside from everything else. Hey, also, also he was uh, he minored in marketing at Brooklyn College. Roberto I am Abramo very good at spending other people's <laughs> money. <laughs> I am very good at that. No, but I mean, the most important thing that's you said out of all this and maybe you added on and, and, and um, the superlatives uh, outstanding is that the there's going to be there are going to be. There are going to be probably a lot of games at City Field next year, so they need to take advantage of each of those games in terms of the promotion, knowing that they're pointing towards Queens for the soccer stadium. So the the almost the, the selling of that soccer stadium ticket should start the first time they head into City Field next year. Absolutely. Let's remember that when, when originally – the you know that they were talking you know where they were going to put a stadium and they had approached the will ponds the will ponds weren't exactly happy about you know having a yankee team sitting next to Cedar field and uh the new owners of the mets may not exactly feel that way or we don't know what the yankees are going to do with their share at some point i mean you never know if things change hands or not but um you know i i know that the yankees would still love to have the team in the bronx and, and remember, uh, if there's any sort of opportunity of that happening, they'll, you know, I'm sure that they'll push for that. But ideally, the, the team belongs in Queens because that's where they're going to have the most fans. And there's a ton of parking around City Field. There's the 7 train. There's the LIRR, you know, whatever you want. It's easy to get to. Yeah, yeah. The expressways all come down there, too. Yeah. So it's, it's easy. But remember that the very, very first site that New York City FC was very close to inherit when they got the franchise from MLS was inside that park of Flushing Meadows. Right. So the, the idea of having the team in Queens the is very, very old because that's actually the place. Yeah, you can't take you can't take that place away from the community. You know, it's all those uh, weekend games being played and the families out there with kick arounds and. That's where you guys guided me when I was doing the podcast called Soccer City. You guys guided me to Corona Park and right. to Jackson Heights, and it really was an awakening for me. And I uh, Well, that was the place where um, Juan Carlos Osorio started his career in right. America. Carlos Jamosa started his career in America there. Uh, many others. It's just a lot of people play there. And a lot of South American and Central American uh, ex-players still play their um, amateur tournaments. Interesting to follow. Well, I, I think that's about it. I think we should move on to the game, Tom, a, a little bit. Yeah. The, uh, unless there's anything else you want to add, I think, you know, the interview was exclusive. Roberto and I had uh, Brad for like 40, 45 minutes, which was pretty cool before the uh, that uh, Chicago fire match, which uh, turned out to be uh, good news for Brad and the club. And uh, playoff time. Decision well, day. Quite. Let's talk not about quite. it. Not Let's quite. talk about decision day. New York City guys come in uh, sitting in fourth place in the Eastern Conference how quickly the playoff picture has changed or just the Eastern Conference standings have changed in a month. Unbeaten in four straight, three straight wins. Uh, the team playing well offensively. Castellanos now leading, 
league in goals. One and one against Philadelphia this season. Uh, Roberto, talk about this match. What uh, what is key for New York City as they head into decision day? The the significance of this game it has a lot of implications because if New York City wins the game, they're guaranteed third place. If Nashville loses, all right, then they jump all the way to second place. So now you're talking about maybe two home games versus one uh, if, if, they, if, they, if they wind up advancing. At the same time, the key to New York City, it's not as much of what they – against the opponent or anything. It, it's the new mentality. That, that Goody Torrance and goal in Atlanta – is it just is going to wind up being if, if the team continues to play the way it is going to wind up being a milestone moment for this team because they went four games over four games in 509 minutes which is a record without scoring a goal and the way that they tied that game in the last minute the 90th minute free kick into the upper 90 i mean a spectacular goal you could just feel everybody just like exhaling it's like oh and then they got their footing. And then, of course, I mean, they just kept it up against D.C. It was, you know, fortunate in a way for New York City that D.C. had as many injuries as they had and they couldn't feel their full team. That's not New York City's fault. New York City did what they had to do. They had three goals, that a goal within a minute, three goals within 11, and they blew them out six zip. And it was a watershed moment because then you could really tell the effect of the game before against Chicago, a team that has given them all sorts of problems this season. You know, uh, Slonina has come in and done a great job in goal for them. 17 years old, he's been a revelation. He's been a thorn in the side for New York City. He had two shutouts. The only way they wound up beating him was with a penalty kick, but they beat him with a penalty kick. So they got a victory there. And then against Miami, they go down there and they go ahead. They're playing. They're playing well. They get a goal against, and instead of the team dropping like it had in Atlanta and it had like every other time during that streak, the team just came right back and played the same way that they were playing and then got the goal four minutes later that put them up two to one, and then they got a really nice goal for the three to one. So I think the mentality on this team this team has changed, and I spoke to Efrain Juarez about it on the flight back, and he was telling me that he really feels that this team is in a different place mentally than they were and that the team is now matured because of all these things that have happened so uh we're going to see we're, we're going to see how far it takes it because new york city has a very bad history in the playoffs where we've talked about the lack of leadership where we've talked about the lack of having you know somebody who's a winner who can help pull this team through so now let's see if what has happened is going to turn this team around once these knockout games happen so we're we're looking forward to it to see what winds up happening. Yeah. And I'll just uh, chime in briefly on, uh, you know, where it's gone. I, I think the, the thing that really has resonated with me during that uh, particular stretch of games, you talked about the shutouts against and all those things, but the, the te- there was about a 10 game stretch where the team did not play well. They got one win. That was at FC Cincinnati for the third year in a row, they're going to be the worst team in MLS. So I, I, I just don't regard that triumph in, 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 in high regard. Uh, but no one has been able to explain what was going on. Ronnie Dyla, the head coach, uh, Nick Cushing, the assistant who I spoke to this last time, uh, Ephraim, uh, the players. Uh, I've got Keaton Parks, I hope. I've got him lined up this week for a one-on-one. 
And I'm really going to see if he, because he's an introspective guy and he's in the middle of it all. And just to see if someone could explain what was going on. I don't want to hear, well, we created chances. We just couldn't finish. That really wasn't the case, except for the Nashville game, the nil-nil result. So anyway, that's the thing for me. It's just what happened in there and what was going on and who was leading. And I, I, I still wonder about the overall leadership, you know, the internal leadership. You know, you got Maxie in the midfield. Uh, you've got Sean Johnson, your captain in goal. Tanner Holmes out. Uh, Maxime Cheneau has been a vice captain. Uh, Collins is a quiet leader. Tatianos just he just kills out there every match. But who's the leader when when things go poorly? Who's the leader? Who do you think Roberto uh, dug him out of that? It was one one and it wasn't going well. Do you think anyone in particular was uh, responsible for the team recovering and then beating Miami, or was it just that Miami is? You know, they're a poor team. They're not good. They're poor. No, my, my, Miami is a poor team that gives you a lot of offensive chances. I just think the mentality changed. I, I, I don't think there's any one player or in, any one thing. I just think that mentally they figured, all right, we're going to come back from this. This is really no big deal. You know, we screwed up. We're going we're gonna to fix this. I, I don't think that that would have been the mentality two weeks ago. I, I think that they would have sulked and they would have looked and they would have uh, – well, that's you know, always figured, happening. Here we go again. Because Ronnie talked about he wasn't uh, displeased with the body language and the effort right. at times. And I, we, you know, we saw it completely differently from uh, oh, either the, the roof of Red Bull. The body Bull language or... was, was horrific. I mean, the, the, they played a great 17 minutes. Then they made a mistake. They allowed a turnover. They converted into the goal. And the team yeah. just went to crap. I mean, and they didn't figure it out, okay, until 10 minutes into the second half. And then once Ronnie started changing the lineup and he started using his bench, Tyler Magno came in and he really contributed very, very well. He added a level of energy that the team didn't have. And he was getting fouled and he wanted the ball and you could see how aggressive he was. And he, you know, he made a big difference. Well, Obviously, we'll see, uh... Goody came in made a, and made a big difference as well. About, and then obviously he takes that free kick that uh, you know. Well, how we about, it, about how about this time the left backs who we've talked about quite frequently throughout the year. You know who's going to win the position. It's got a little back and forth. Goody ended up winning it, so Goody scores the uh, the equalizer at Atlanta, and then it's Amundsen drawing the penalty, and, and then Tati Castellanos with the game winner against the Chicago Fire. Without those two moments. You wonder what position uh, New York City would be in right now. But uh, there's one more thing I want to add, though. There's one more thing that I want to add that I think that has been sort of quiet. Uh, New York City was committing a lot of defensive errors and getting punished for them all throughout that all throughout that bad streak. I think that in the games, uh, in the more recent games, I think that we've seen much less of those sort of errors. Uh, there, there isn't that calamity moment. You're going, what the hell is going on? You know, but and also Sean Johnson, especially in the Miami game, he came up with a huge save on Iguain. Iguain came on one, you know, came in early uh, on a breakaway, yeah, and uh, he was smoked by by Sean Johnson. And I mean, that's a huge play in that game. Yep, Don, we always turn to you for the uh, the X's and O's each week. Uh, have you noticed an overall change the last month from September to October, or is it just? the momentum of that, that goal by Goody and um, the, the springboard that that created for this team? I mean, the last the last games, uh, yes, I saw the changes. 
but uh, you cannot doubt it for one minute that that goodies goal, you know, changed mentality and put the team onto a mindset of, you know, we got that opportunity now. <laughs> we got a second life here and we're going to make the most of it because we have what it takes. It's definitely that set of mind that is putting this team with an internal fire to move forward. But Roberto was mentioning about um, defensive mistakes and how the team is not, uh, you know, um, committing those mistakes that often on the last couple of games. It's simple. The team is taking less risk <laughs> because you're not going for the two flanks attacking when you have Sands on, on one of the sides. That is half, you know, half shut down. Sands is not going to go as a real fullback all the way down with your uh, wider player interchanging internal and external game. He's a stating back, period. So if you're not taking that risk... But remember who was in front of him, John. Tiago was in front of Thiago. him for two of those games. So it right. also freed him up from maybe not having to defend as much. Right, but exactly. But one thing is that you have the ability with Tiago to attack more because he doesn't have to think on defending that much. The other thing is that you have more options to attack on that side because you have Thiago and the fullback interchanging internal and external channels, which is not happening. There's two different things. So, mm -hmm. yes, Thiago, is, his mind is freely on attack, but at the same time, the risks that the team are taking are less. And that's a fact. It's going to be interesting. And, well, we'll I, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see what, what happens against Philadelphia in terms of the 11 because I just think having James Sands out there, I've, I've tried to figure out the, to the, to the extent that he helps the team uh, out there on the right at, at a fullback. He was more conventional as a fullback in this last match too, but not in the overlap sense, just kind of showing himself wide and the ball was switched yeah. and he had more room. It's a poor center back. <laughs> but, also, uh, by the way, also he had the key pass. He had an assist on the, oh, yeah. on the third goal. Awesome. That, that, that ball out of the out of the well, back the was, was one. I don't know which one, but he had an assist on one third of the goals. goal. Uh, no, yeah, it was the second. Okay. It, no, Wait, it was Catiato's second goal, the game winner. Exactly. It was second the game winning goal. goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but but Sands is more. I want him in the midfield with Parks, uh, Alfredo yeah. Morales. Okay, start. You know, I think he he can be valuable on the bench just to see how the game's going. And we saw what Ronnie Dyla did at the end of the game. He put Sands into the midfield, took Morales out, and put Tavon Gray on. Yeah, Tavon Gray could play. So uh, let him play. And that, right. And the other part is that if you check uh, the rivals that play against, you know, that idea, that formation, having Sands on, on, on the wing as a, as a fullback, DC United committed a huge mistake because they had Paredes. And yeah. if you match up Paredes 1v1 against Sands, I, you know, I put my money on Paredes every single day. Sure. Every single day. And what they did was talking Paredes in to play the internal channel. So Sanz had a, you know, pretty much nice night right there. I mean, top of that, that uh, they committed, you know, a thousand mistakes in three minutes and whatever. But, you know, <laughs> as much as I <laughs> as much as I criticized Miami today, that was the word in in person, live in person, watching a soccer match. I have never seen such a poor performance in my life from a team. I, you know, right. I, and I'm talking about, you know, U12, a cat, what, <laughs> what some, I, yeah. I couldn't but, believe how poor they were. But, right. But for some reason, and, and Los Alamos more experienced than me, and he's a, you know, a coach 
with all his credentials and everything. But yeah, yeah. If, if I'm DC United coach, my first ball is there. Put it right there. Two paredes to settle down in front of uh, of, of Sands and let's see what happens. You know. Yeah, it's and pretty. You, uh... Paredes go one v one, kill the guy. I don't care if you score on that play, but if you not make the guy twice on the same play. <laughs> his, his, his mind is out of the stadium already. Yeah. You know? All Can right. I just add one thing here? Because this drove me crazy. The, in, in the game Inter Miami, okay? If you remember back to the first game of the season, or the first time that they met in New York City, 1 2 nothing. The thing that stood out to me the most in that game was the fact that, Mor- that Lewis Morgan ate Molde Albertson alive to the point of where he had to be withdrawn at halftime because there was no way that he could contain him. When I saw that Lewis Morgan was playing left wing and they put him up against Sands, as opposed to putting him up against Maldi again, who, by the way, there's no goody, goody's hurt. So, you know, it's him or nobody, right? And he didn't even switch him once during the whole time that he was in the game was insanity to me. I mean, this seemed to be your biggest advantage, and yet he put him on the left wing as opposed to putting him on the right wing. Mm -hmm. But he has a reason, because uh, Iguain and not Federico, uh, Gonzalo, he's walking around. So as much as you win on that side, you don't have support to finish that play. So I rather want that guy who is actually good in the 1v1 on his not favorite angle because he can cut inside and finish himself instead of wait and wait and wait for the guy who is just walking and waiting for the clean ball to shoot. You know, <laughs> it's just all, the, all around the context. Uh, uh. Those are decisions that go around the context. And talking about context, the other point that I want to make about uh, the good things that I'm seeing with the game in New York City FC lately, more than the mentality, of course, is there is, is Santiago. Santiago has been involved in a lot of the attack, a lot of the 1v1s, a lot of the set balls in the area for Tati Castellanos. Remember that bicycle kick, the way Santiago right. controls the ball, look at Tati and put it right there, like, go, do it. Yeah, and, no. you know, I, you know, I you know what was really neat there. If you look back at that, how Castellanos... He did a little burst in between those two defenders to get into that position. It wasn't like he was just sitting there. It was all timed. The whole thing was timed out. And maybe they're looking at each other. Yeah. They're looking at each other. When 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 Santiago touched the ball and the ball bounces on the ground, once the ball bounces, Santiago's looking at Tati. Tati's accommodating the is putting his body diagonal and the touch is just softly for him to do it. And then it was and and it was Rodriguez that put Amundsen in. That was a clever little ball for the to draw the penalty. Uh, which uh, Cassiano's converted. Uh, uh, so those again, are things. Those, those are things that I see on on NYCFC that are getting better and better and progressing. I mean, on one side, I don't see anything wrong on not taking more risk. You know, if you feel like yeah. okay, this is gonna help me out, it's fine. It's, and, and plus, you don't have the key players on that side, so I, I don't see anything wrong on that. But looking at Philadelphia, it's gonna be totally different. Who is going to play on that win? You know, because Brendan Aronson <laughs> can, you know, feed a lot of balls there. The Paxton, problem is Paxton, pa- Paxton, 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 Paxton. Yeah. Paxton. Yeah, but if it's, I was like, if it's Brendan's back. <laughs> no, I think yeah. uh, I think in this but, match, no, in uh-huh. this match, you play you play Gray 
and Amundsen because it's a 4-4-2 diamond you're playing against. You have spaces on the flanks to attack. Force those quote-unquote wide midfielders out of the diamond to go where they don't want to be necessarily defensively. And at the same time, Sands could just sit in in front of the in front of the two central backs who have to deal with the two forwards that uh, Philadelphia will, will run out there. And then everybody's just got to do their job defensively in terms of recovery and positioning angles, right. and support, again, all my, that stuff. My, but I think um, <clears throat> I close, I close my point with this Glenn, because it's just, I was, I was about to say that Baxton can feed a lot of balls there, yeah. but I heard today and, and it makes a lot of sense that he may not start the game. And the one who may be the starter is Jamiro Monteiro, who is actually one of the best 1v1s in the league. So, right. you know, it's, it's kind of picked your poison there. But, but, uh, yep, should be a fun one match. game. One game is getting, getting a guy on the wide channel that is able to go 1v1. And another one is the one that is serving through those channels, like Paxton. Yep. Guys, where's the uh, English and Spanish broadcast? Go ahead. First, go ahead. Well, he said English and Spanish, so I was going to oh, let okay. you go first. All right, I will go first. <laughs> in the uh, same place. It's in the same place <laughs> it always is. It's called the New York City FC Network. If you go on TuneIn, the app, you just uh, you know search that and, and then favorite, and then it's right there for you. And it's nycfc.com slash radio. If you go on the uh, club's website, you could also click on there to uh, to listen to the games. And uh, it's everybody's kicking off at three thirty, so uh, our airtime will be uh, three p.m. this week because kickoff is exactly three thirty. Correct? What I think fell? so. Yeah, something just fell. And uh, yeah, I hope it didn't break. What's going on over there? Oh my goodness! Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there yeah, goes and your we'll wine. Have- and then we'll have our Facebook uh, live uh, Twitter thing uh, an hour before uh, kickoff, which will be two thirty, with myself and Maddie Lawrence. We're at Yankee Stadium and decision day, so New York City could finish as high as number two by the end of the day, or as low as seventh. So it's a pretty uh, interesting day. All right, I'll go. Um, so basically, the same thing as Glenn, except that our Facebook live on my page at Roberto Abramovich Oficial. Uh, that's going to start at 2 o'clock with Ariel and I. And uh, our pregame show is also going to start uh, at 3 o'clock. So we're going to have a, you know, a half an hour pregame show before uh, we hit the air. So um, looking forward to that. Again, nycfc.com slash radio. If you want English, you hit the, the little link there. If you want Spanish, aprieta la liga, hit the link there. And uh, you can listen to the game basically from wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast from. All right. John Rojas, where can people follow your commentary? Let's just leave it on my Twitter uh, handle, jrojas875. All right. Always a good follow. For Glenn, Roberto, and John, I'm Tom. Thanks so much for listening to a special episode of Soccer in the City. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.